It's part six of our series on character, and, uh, and we're going to speak about love this weekend, the most important character trait of all, the most important one. And someone might be sitting there wondering, it's kind of a weird time in the series to do the most important one, kind of towards middle, towards the end, part six. Why would you save the most important one till then? And, and to be honest with you, just to be just brutally honest, I've been dreading speaking on love, okay? I've been putting it off. I was actually thinking about not putting it in at all. And the reason is because love is such an important, vast topic in the scriptures. I mean, you can do series, massive series on this topic. And we did uh, a series on it a couple years ago. We'll have to do another one again soon, I'm sure. And my fear was how on earth do you condense this super hyper important uh, topic of love, this thing that just goes right through all the scriptures, Old and New Testament, over and over and over again. There's hundreds of, lo- of commandments to love. I forget someone counted it once, but it's hundreds in the New Testament. And I thought, how, and I was afraid, how do I condense that down into one message? And so I was thinking, you know, eh, maybe I just leave it out of the series. And, uh, but I just finally came to the point this week, I was praying about it, and I realized if I leave a series on character without touching on love, then the series is incomplete and I've missed the mark. I, I just can't miss the most important character trait of all, especially when you consider the fact that love is the engine that drives all the rest of the traits. Okay? Love is the thing that draws them all together so that when you have love, you exercise the other traits in balance and you're motivated to use them. Love is the engine of all character. It's the most important one. And that's why the scriptures say a bunch of times, let me show you one here, Romans 13, 8 to 10. Paul says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That is just a mind-boggling statement. When you, I mean, the Christian life really is simple. It's not easy. It's not easy to do this, but it's simple. If you will love your neighbor as yourself, Paul says you have fulfilled the entire law. Every single commandment in the Bible, you don't have to remember all the rest of them. It's all done when you love, uh, when you love. Look at this. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. If you and I will put on love as a character trait, if we will, and and again, this has to become the focus of our life. If you will get up in the morning, if you're a married person and say, today, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to love my spouse. I'm just going to do it no matter what. And when you go to work, I'm going to love the people I'm going to be working with. When you go to a family gathering, whatever it is, if you just make it your goal in life to love, you will fulfill every single commandment in the Bible and God will call your life a success. He'll call your life a success. And this is really important. It's a point I want to hammer home because a lot of times us Christians, we have this nebulous kind of vague feeling of guilt in our life. We go through life and we kind of feel guilty. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not doing enough for God. That's what we usually mean. But we have this feeling like I'm apathetic. I'm worldly because I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. Uh, I don't fast enough. I don't witness enough. We have this vague feeling of guilt. And I get it sometimes too, we all get it, this feeling of guilt, I'm not doing enough for God. And here's the thing I want you to know, it all comes down to love. See, when you stand before Jesus' throne at the end of your life, this is not what's going to happen. You're going to go before Jesus' throne, he's going to say, bring out the statistics. And they're going to bring out the book of statistics. And they're going to say, and Jesus is going to go, well, 
You prayed for, you know, 6,478 hours. You fasted, you know, 348 days in your life. You read through the Bible 124 times and then say, here's your reward based on those statistics. No. God is not going to judge your life a success based on the spiritual disciplines. He's going to base your judgment at the end of your life. Success is going to be how much of a loving person did you become? And, and of course, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. We just saw a testimony there on the, on the 90 days of prayer, on 90 days of, uh, of reading through the scriptures or whatever. I'm not saying we should read our Bibles less or pray less or anything like that. Obviously not. I happen to believe very strongly, and you'll see it in this last point. I don't believe you can live a life of love without the disciplines. But here's the thing. If we're going to feel guilty in life, I want us to feel guilty about the right things. Don't feel guilty about the spiritual disciplines. If you're going to feel guilty, feel guilty about the lack of love in your life for the people around you and for God. Because that's what success is. And in fact, that's the purpose of the disciplines. The purpose of the disciplines is I get into the word, I seek after God in prayer so that I can become more loving. If you're spending time in the word and you're not becoming more loving, you're wasting your time. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, because this is the whole point. I mean, this is one of the big reasons why Jesus doesn't just snap you up to heaven after you get saved. I mean, there's other reasons too, but, but and, and a big part of it all has to do with character. But, you know, you get saved, you ask Jesus in your heart. Sometimes I've wondered, why don't you just snap us up after that? One of the reasons is he wants to develop you in love so that you're a loving person before you enter his kingdom. And he says here in Matthew 22, 36 to 40, and we've read this scripture a number of times in the last few months. It just keeps coming up in my messages. But, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now when Jesus says the law and the prophets, what he, that's what he called the Bible. At that time, that was the, the entire Bible. They didn't have the New Testament then. What Jesus is saying is the entire Bible hinges on love God and love your neighbor. So if you're spending time in the spiritual disciplines and not becoming loving, you're missing the whole point. That's the point of the spiritual disciplines. The point of your life, the goal of your life is not to be a spiritual person, but to be a loving person. That's why 1 Corinthians 13, of course, I cannot preach a message on on love. I think I would be disbarred as a minister if I didn't touch on 1 Corinthians 13, right? 1 Corinthians 13 says this about the importance of love compared to other very spiritual-sounding things and practices. Look at this. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay? So you can have a massively miraculous level of tongues. And you're just speaking in tongues, different languages, people are getting saved, yada, yada, yada. It's miraculous. And if you have no love, it's zippo, zilch. And if I have prophetic powers, you can speak powerful, prophetic, accurate words into people's lives. You can have Prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. You've got the gift of knowledge. You're a, you're a brilliant theologian. And if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, you're healing people. You're doing miracles. But have not love. I am nothing. Nothing. God counts all of that not as success because success to God is how loving are you? And lastly, if I give away all I have, so I sacrifice, I serve hours and hours thousands of dollars, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now that last one to me is a real sobering one. I gain nothing means there's no reward. Apart from love, there's no reward in heaven. 
So you sacrifice and you suffer pain and you build up all this stuff because you think you're storing up treasure in heaven. But if you're doing all of that stuff apart from being gentle and patient and kind and good to every person you come in contact with, if you do those things apart from love, you gain nothing, no reward. It all comes down to love. And so our primary task in life, like I said, this is one of the reasons God leaves you here on earth. One of the primary tasks we have to put at the top of our to-do list every day for the rest of our lives is, I want to pursue love. I want to become a loving person. This has got to become our number one. I mean, you talk about the most important prayer request you can pray. This has got to become the prayer request that you pray more than any other prayer request. This is the most important thing you can pray for the rest of your life, day after day, week after week, month after month. Lord, help me to become a loving person. Make me a loving person, because that's what life boils down to, all right? And we're going to get into all that in just a moment. How about let's pray. I'm getting carried away already, and then, and then we'll get into some more practical stuff. Bow your heads with me, close your eyes. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, love, Father. Oh, I pray, God, that you would plant seeds in our hearts today, that we would get it about love that we would really get it about love, Lord, that we would be energized about love, that it would be crystallized in our hearts, that we would grab a hold of it, that we would see what it looks like, and that we would go all after it for the rest of our lives. And I just pray a protection over this service. I pray over our hearts, Lord. Help each of us to receive those little arrows that you want to give us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, I want to just make a, a little distinction here before I, before I get going too much further. And, uh, and that is this. Normally, when we talk about love, we talk about love as an action, right? It's something you choose to do. So you do actions of love. You choose to love. It's a commandment, all those sorts of things. And of course, that is love. No, no question. Definitely, love is an action. Love is a choice. Love is a command. Yes, 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 and yes. But in this series, we're talking about character. And so I'm attacking love today from a bit of a different angle, and I want you to remember this for the entire time that I'm talking about it. Today, when I'm talking about love, the goal isn't let's go out and do actions of love. The goal is to put on love as a character trait so that you become a loving person. Okay? How many of you know there's a difference between doing actions of love and having love as a character trait where it's just with you all the time? It's who you are. There's a huge difference there. Everybody here, every single person probably on planet Earth, does at various times, some much more than others, but we all do actions of love. Normally it's to people we, love, we like, not, not our enemies and other people like that who God tells us to love, but we all do actions of love from time to time when we feel like it. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about doing actions of love when you feel like it. I'm talking about putting on love in such a way that it's with you all the time, no matter who you're with, no matter what you're, what, what you're going through, what time of the day it is, and all that sort of stuff. I'm talking about putting on love as a character trait. Now, people who have love as a character trait, not just as actions that they sometimes do, those kind of people where it's a character trait for them, those types of people are few and far between. I mean, we all know that. And, uh, and, and now most of us have probably only known, you know, one or two or three or four people who had love as a character trait in our whole lives, depending on the kind of family that you came with or whatever. But it may have been an uncle or an aunt, may have been a grandparent. Best is, if you were lucky like me, I was just blessed, it was my parents. If it was your parents, but maybe it was a teacher or someone like that. But we all know, you know, one or two people in your life, you can think about them almost right away. These are people who had the character trait of love, and they are different than everyone else. 
And the way that they're different is this. It doesn't matter when you're around them or what you do. They have this way of communicating to you that you stand out and that you are worthwhile and that you are valuable. And every time you're around them, they don't just say they love you. Every Christian person says, I love you. Every parent says, I love you to their kids. Very few parents have this as a character trait where they are actually able to communicate this to their kids or to their nephew or niece or whoever it is, a friend or whatever it is. These are people, it doesn't matter when you're around them or whatever, when you leave, you leave built up and encouraged. There's just something about them that believes in you more than you believe in yourself. And it's not that these are wimpy people. These are not people who, it's not that they didn't discipline you. It's not that they didn't tell you hard things when you needed to hear hard things. It's that even when they disciplined you and told you hard things, they did it in a way that really dignified you and honored you and made you want to do better. These are not negative people. These are not people that dwell on criticism and shortcomings and failings. These were people that looked past that stuff in you and saw the good in you before you saw it in yourself. And they were like this all the time. They just brought you up and they changed your, and they were a, a big tool of, that God used in changing your life. That's the kind of people we want to become. That's what I'm talking about today. The character trait of love, day in and day out. Now let me show you this in scripture because this, this kind of love, not just love as an action, but love as a character trait, this is God's goal for your life. I want you to see this in Colossians 3, 12 to 14. Paul says this, put on then as God's chosen ones. So put it on. Holy and beloved. Now he's going to list a bunch of traits that are attached to love. So put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, here's the interesting thing about this passage. The Greek word that is translated put on there is, is only used for one thing. It was always used in relation to putting on clothes. Okay? Always. That's what the word is. It's putting on your clothes. Putting on a shirt, putting on pants, putting on clothes, and everything else that you put on underneath there. Okay? So it's put on. Paul is telling us to put on love literally like we put on clothes. Now here's what I know about clothes. Okay? Uh, you know, every morning I get out of bed, before I leave the house, I put on clothes. Everybody says, amen, thank God, okay? And here's another thing to say, amen, thank God for. I leave those clothes on until the end of the day, okay? <laughs> Unless, well, there's some exceptions. But anyway, I won't go there. But for the most part, okay, clothes on in the morning, stay on till night. In a sense, they are permanent with me that day, right? Uh, it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter if I'm tired. It doesn't matter if I'm mad. It doesn't matter if I'm, if I'm upset. I don't take my clothes off. It's not like I start to get mad. Rrr, take my clothes off. No. Okay? My clothes stay on. It doesn't matter how I feel. I'll talk to a whole bunch of you after the service, I'm sure. Uh, my clothes will stay on. Okay? Amen. It doesn't matter. I won't change them. I won't talk to one guy over here. Clothes. Oh, I got to go talk to another person over here. Take my clothes off or change my clothes or like that. Clothes are, in a sense, permanent. Once I put them on for that day, they're with me no matter how I feel. They're with me no matter who I'm with. I put on clothes. In a sense, they're, they're a part of me for the day. They're a part of me. Everybody's going to see me in them. This is what I'm, I'm operating out of. These are my clothes today, okay? Now, Paul is telling us in the same way, put on love. 
It's not just motivate yourself, today I'm going to do four or five good things. No, you are going to walk through your life today through the ups and downs and the tiredness and exhaustion and the happiness and the sadness and the madness. And no matter who you're with in the different places, love is what you're operating out of. This is what you're wearing today. Put on love, he says. Now, this is really encouraging to me. I find that passage super encouraging, and here's why. I think a lot of Christians are discouraged uh, and hopeless about this thing of love. And the reason is this, because they look at their life and they see that they haven't been very loving, but they don't know how to become more loving. And they feel it's just kind of like, I just don't think I can become loving. Love is this kind of vague, nebulous thing. They don't know how to get their hands on it. They don't know how to do anything about it. And so they're just discouraged. I can't become more loving. I don't know how to get my hands on this thing. Well, here's the thing I love. This is the word of God. If Paul says put on love like you put on clothes, that means putting on love is something tangible and practical that you and I can actually do. Because the Holy Spirit wouldn't have written down, put it on, if we can't actually put it on. There are choices. You and I, and this is the thing you have to to know, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago as well, about some other character traits. We in North America have over-spiritualized lots of the Christian life. We've over-spiritualized it. So that it's become this thing, pie in the sky, we don't know how to get it. Putting on love is a real, everyday thing that you can choose to do. And it's not just a matter of in the morning saying the words, I put on love today. That's not what it is. It's making choices throughout the day. I'm going to show you what a number of those choices are. But before we get there, I want to, let's have a definition of love. So for the rest of this message, we know what we're talking about. Okay? Because the word love has kind of, it's become a cliche. It's become dulled by overuse. It doesn't impact us anymore. I put up love at the top there. It should be something that excites us. We should go, oh, love. This is a super important topic. I'm pumped about this. I want to become more loving. But we see that, and it's like a cliche with us. It's been overused. And we go, oh, love. He's talking about love. But you know, the early church turned the Roman Empire upside down with love. And, I mean, thousands, in the first two centuries after Jesus died, thousands of people got saved, and almost the sole reason they got saved was because of this thing called love and the way Christians were doing it. It was just totally countercultural. It was radical in that culture. They, They couldn't believe. Why would people live like this? Why would people care for diseased people, bring diseased people into their home? They could get sick. Why do these Christians treat women and slaves and poor people with such dignity? It was love that attracted them to Jesus because the early Christians were energized by love. But we're not energized by love anymore. It's become overused. We talk about love for everything. I love pizza. I love football. I love my wife. Okay? And for some guys, they're about in that order. Okay? <laughs> Maybe flip the football and the pizza around. And you know, your daughter is lovely. We just use love for everything. We hardly know what it means anymore. We, we can't picture it. It's fuzzy. So let me give you a definition. I want to make this thing uh, hard and fast, something that you can really grab onto, okay? Now, the definition I'm going to give you is not a fully comprehensive, you know, definition of love, the best definition of love you ever heard that covers every single angle of what love could possibly be. No. But I really believe that this definition of love goes very near to the heart, if not straight to the heart, of what love is. And if you can get this, and, not, and, and then the rest of the message is going to make sense. All the practical steps make sense once you get the definition of what love is. Let me tell you what love is. It's going to come up on the screen as well. Love is any action or word that communicates to another person that they are immensely valuable, that they are worthwhile, that they are special. Love is any action or word that communicates to another person that they are immensely valuable and worthwhile. 
That's what love is, right? When you love something or someone, that means you treasure them as valuable, and as a result of treasuring them as valuable, you treat them in a certain way. We treat valuable things and non-valuable things much differently. When you value something or someone, you treat them in a certain way, and that's where kindness, patience, goodness, meekness, and all those things, gentleness, all come in. But you, you can forget about all those things, basically, and just know love. When you value something, those things come automatically. Let, let me just share with you a couple of mundane illustrations that just show you this, how love operates when you value something, okay? So I'll just give you a couple of silly illustrations. Uh, first one, let's talk about running, okay? As many of you know, uh, I really enjoy running. So every week, year-round, basically, almost every week, I, I run 25 to 30 miles, somewhere in there, okay? Now, when you run regularly... Uh, you have to buy shoes regularly. So every eight to 10 months, I've got to go and buy a new pair of shoes. Now, when you have to go out and buy a new pair of shoes that has to last you eight or 10 months and a thousand plus miles, you have to be careful the kind of shoes you get. I can't, it doesn't work to just get a 50 or $60 pair of sneakers, okay? I've tried cutting costs like that, got me a knee injury and chronic hip, hip pain for a while, okay? So when I go to get uh, shoes, I have to get real shoes. Every eight to 10 months, I have to go through this process. I have to spend a bit of money. I can't be cheap. But in addition to that, it's not just finding expensive pair of shoes, it's finding the right pair of shoes, a pair of shoes that is comfortable for me, that fits my running style and my stride, okay? Now, when I finally find a pair of shoes like that, and I spend the money and I get those things, I, I treasure those shoes, okay? I mean, I don't take them to bed and, and, and hold them, okay? <laughs> but I treat them a lot differently than I treat my lawn mowing shoes. I'll tell you that right now. I've got a pair of lawn mowing shoes that are stained an ungodly shade of green. They are uh, holy, not, not holy, but like holes. And, and I, I don't treat them, I mean, I don't care about them. When I, I don't untie the laces when I want to get my feet in there. I just squish my feet in. I walk through the ditch, mud, swamp, whatever it is when I'm mowing the lawn. Uh, and when I want to kick them off, I just kind of kick them off into a corner. And they pile up there. I don't care if they get wet. It doesn't matter. I, they, because they have no value. I treat them that way because they're not valuable to me. But when I get my new pair of running shoes, I don't treat them like that at all. When I get my new pair of running shoes and I look outside, if there is a hint of moisture in the air, okay, they don't go outside. Okay? I never touch grass with those things the first two, three months after I buy them. They have to last me, right? And I don't run on gravel with them or rocks for the first few months because I invested money into these things. They have to last me and they have to work for a while, right? So there's value. When I want to put that new pair of shoes on, I don't squish my feet into them. I loosen up the laces real loose, put my feet gently in there, tie them up. There's a way that I treat them that is much differently than the way I treat these other pair of shoes. And the difference is value. I don't have to think through, I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and this things to my new shoes. No, no. I just value them and automatically I treat them a certain way with gentleness and, and I want to watch out for them and I'm protective of them and all that sort of stuff. That's what love is. When you love something or someone, there is a whole bunch of ways that you treat them. You, are, you, you treasure them. And you treat them in this way, no matter how they are or what they do and all sorts of stuff, because they're valuable. That's love. Now, some of you might not get runners, okay? So you get that? So let's talk about cars for just a moment, okay? So I'm really not helping women this morning at all, but that doesn't matter. Just listen to this, okay? Last Sunday, beautiful day. I hope it ends up being that nice today. Oh, gorgeous day last Sunday afternoon. Finished preaching, 11 o'clock service, uh, going home. We had some coupons, and I'm a Mennonite, so we're going out for, to eat when we have coupons, right? So we had coupons, and, and, uh, and anyway, we're heading out for lunch. Oh, the sun, it's clear. It's not humid. It's a gorgeous day. 
we were stopped at Giesbrecht at the, at the sign there close to our house, and this beautiful, polished red Ford convertible Mustang comes, comes driving down Giesbrecht. And I mean, just gorgeous. This thing is just bright and shining, okay? Now, I'm not an expert on cars, but I believe that Ford Mustang convertibles like that have somewhere around a gajillion horsepower under the hood, give or take one or two, okay? Not an expert, but somewhere in that, in that area. But you want to know how fast this gajillion horsepower Mustang was driving? 40 kilometers tops. I'm stuck behind this guy, and I'm going, what are you doing, okay? Super wide turns around anything that's sniffed of a patch of dirt or a puddle. And you go, I mean, you could be driving 200, right? And he's going 40. Why? Value. Value. You drive your polished red Ford convertible Mustang a lot different than your 87K car. Amen? Yes. <laughs> and the difference is value. Now, someone might complain to me. They might say, you know, I don't like your definition on value. Uh, I don't like your definition of love because it doesn't include anything about service. Uh, service is like an integral, integral part of, of love. Well, amen to that. But here's the thing. When you value something, you will automatically serve that thing or that person. I mean, that guy with the Mustang, nobody had to tell him the day before. I guarantee you with how shiny that thing was, he either spent an hour and a half that morning or the day before, but he spent an hour and a half or two hours for sure dusting that thing, washing that thing, polishing that thing, guaranteed. Now, did anyone tell him he had to do that? No way. He was glad to do it because he values that car. Same with when you value people. When you value something or someone, you will not have to be told to serve. You will just do it. And so I didn't include service in the definition as well because the flip side is also not true. You can't value something and not serve it, but it is possible to serve something and not value it. I mean, I've seen this far too often, but I've seen parents. They've got kids, and they serve those kids. They keep them alive. They feed them. They clothe them. They give them a place to stay. They work, and they pay the bills. But you can tell when you're around this family that the parents don't value the kids because with every roll of their eyes and the exasperated tone of their voice and the phrases they use like how tiring their kids are and how expensive and this and this and that and this and that, that's not value. And those kids aren't receiving all of that service as love. They're receiving rejection. You can serve someone and not value them. That's not love. See, love is not serving or giving with a martyr complex. I want to just get this out of the way right now. When you love something, that means you value it. When you value something, you are glad to give and serve to that thing or that person. You're glad to do it. Uh, love, this is not love. When you give to something or you serve something or someone and you have a martyr complex, oh, poor me. You're so exhausting to love. This is so tiring. This is so hard on me. Such a burden. When you serve and give like that, it's not love. And it doesn't, even ca- it doesn't count for love to the person or people or organization that you're doing it for. And it doesn't count as love in God's eyes either. That's not how love works. Now, of course, I, I, some of you might just, oh, man, you may be a mom with, you know, 10 kids at home. Oh, sometimes I'm tired out and I don't feel like it. I'm not, I'm not speaking to that. But what I'm talking about is a general rule. I'm not saying that you can never be tired when you love. But if you have a general martyrdom spirit, that's not love. When you value something, you're glad to do it. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 12, 14 to 15. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. Now look at this. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, will you love me less? Paul says, I will gladly spend and be spent. I will give, serve, and all that sort of stuff gladly for you guys because I love you. 
That's what love does, gladly, all right? Because it values. But it all comes back to when you value something or someone, that gladly part comes automatically. You don't have to work up the gladly part. It's finding value. That's the important thing. So let me give you now a few practical things, three practical things. And we could just, I mean, there's hundreds of things, right? Like I said, we could do a whole series on love, and we're just doing one message. But let's look at three really important things. How do you practically do this, okay? How do you put on love? Again, not just doing actions, but put on a character trait where you walk through life and see every person around you as valuable and treat them that way. And the first thing is, honor people with your words, One of the primary ways through which we communicate value to people, one of the primary tools, is through our mouths. And if you're going to become a person with a character trait who loves, you must become a person who uses your mouth constantly to honor and build up people. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now look at this. Outdo one another in showing love honor. Paul says that every day you get up in the morning, a new competition starts. If you're married, there's a competition between you and your spouse to outdo each other in showing each other honor. When you go to work, you, every day that you go into work, you are entering a competition with your coworkers on a couple of different levels. The first competition is who can show the most honor to the boss. And the second competition is who can show the most honor to each other. And this is with your kids. This is wherever you are at a family gathering. Every place that you go, Paul says, outdo each other. It's a competition. Use your mouths to build each other up, encourage each other, compliment each other instead of tearing each other down. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, you say, what does it mean to give honor to someone? Okay? Sometimes we can learn a lot about a word by looking at its opposite. And if you look in the the dictionary and you look up dishonor, here's what it means to dishonor someone. To dishonor someone is to treat them as common or as ordinary or as worthless. To dishonor someone is to treat them as common, as ordinary, or as worthless. Okay? So when you honor something, someone, you're doing the exact opposite. When you honor someone, you're treating them as uncommon. You're lifting them up. You're saying you are special. You are extraordinary. You stand out from the crowd. That's honor. Honor is lifting people up and saying, you are amazing in this area or in these areas or wherever it is. You stand out. You have value. And when you dishonor someone, what you're doing is you're cutting them down. You're bringing them down. Don't don't be all so high and mighty there and you're cutting them down. You're common. You're ordinary. You're average. You don't stick out. Now here's the thing. It takes humility to do this. It absolutely takes humility to lift someone up above yourself, doesn't it? And this is why proud people cannot love. Proud people can want to love. Proud people can hear messages about love. And proud people can never love. Because right close to the heart of love is the fact that you must be good at lifting other people's up. And proud people cannot lift people, other people above themselves. Because proud people have a deep insecurity that says, I'm the one who needs the attention. I'm the one who needs to feel special. I'm the one who needs the compliments. I'm the one who needs to be built up. That's pride. They have this deep insecurity. And so proud people can't turn around and lift others up above themselves. And because they can't lift other people up above themselves, that's what honor is. And that's what it means to love someone. Because love is valuing someone and putting them up and saying, you're valuable. You're amazing. I mean, let's just use an example, okay? And, and, and this is, you know, let's say you've got two singers in a church. By the way, this is not a true story. It's not happening here in this church, okay? But let's say you've got two singers in a church. One is proud. 
okay? And you apply this to every area. It's not just for music, obviously. You apply this to your area of life. Let me show you how this can work, how pride works and keeps you from honoring people. But the proud person's not singing today. The other woman or whatever is singing the special, and as she sits there, she can't worship with the other singer, can she? Because the whole time she's watching this other singer, she's evaluating and comparing. Again, she doesn't want this other singer lifted up. She can't stand for other people to be lifted up above her. And so as she's watching this worship special, she's, she's evaluating the whole time and criticizing in her mind. Ooh, I don't like the way she moves her hands. Ooh, her voice sounds a little bit warbly today. Ooh, I think she missed that note. And that's her whole thoughts. And afterwards, if you ask the proud person, so how was the special, you'll get something like this. Well, it was okay, but... Proud people always put in a but. They simply cannot abide by honoring someone and just wholeheartedly, yes, I fade in the background, you're incredible. They can't do it. So there's always a but with proud people. Yeah, it was okay, it was decent, she tried hard, but da, 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 da. And that's what we do. Humble people don't have this problem. Humble people don't need to be the center of attention. Humble people are glad to see people lifted up and honored. They're glad to outdo each other in honor. Look at this, Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but look at this, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Humility is right at the heart of love. You must consider others better than yourself. You must be glad for other people to be lifted up. And when you use your words to do that, that is love. When you begin to do this regularly, that's what you're doing. You're putting on love. You're speaking value into people. You're honoring them. Now, someone will ask, and a good question, are we supposed to honor everyone all the time or just those who deserve it? Someone will ask, well, you know, maybe, she, maybe the singer did do a bad job worshiping, right? Or how am I supposed to honor my husband for the last 10 years? He's just been a, a lazy bum or whatever it is. How am I supposed to honor my boss who treats me unfairly and blah, 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 blah? How am I supposed to honor my coworkers who are greedy and, and cheaters and lazy and blah, blah, blah? And, and so the question is, do we honor people, all, all people all the time, or do we give honor only when we feel honor is deserved? Now, and I'm going to show you a passage of scripture right away to answer that question. But before we go there, let me just say this. Nobody on planet earth, this is a newsflash maybe for some of you, but nobody on planet earth is perfect. How many of you knew that? Well, a lot of you didn't know that. Okay, well, something new every message, right? Nobody on planet earth is perfect. Did you know you can find a reason not to honor any person? You show me a person and, and uh, if you knew everything about that person, you could find, uh, with a little bit of work, you could find a whole bunch of things that would say this person is not worth honoring. You can find reasons not to honor absolutely anyone and everyone on planet Earth. So the question is, are we supposed to honor people anyway? Well, let's look at James chapter 3, 7 to 11. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth, uh, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? So James is upset here about something. Let me just paraphrase a little bit. James is upset. And the reason he's upset is this. On Sunday mornings, people are coming to church and doing whatever at spiritual gatherings, and they're using their mouths to honor God. Nothing wrong with that so far, right? Obviously, God is worthy of honor. He's perfect. 
He's wonderful. He's amazing. He's full of glory. Yes, we should use our mouths to honor God. But James isn't upset about that part. He's upset that they're doing that and something else. They're honoring God one day with their mouths, and then on a different day, they're going out and they're dishonoring people. Now, it's interesting the reason he gives why he's mad about them dishonoring people. It's not because the people don't deserve it. They very may well deserve cursing. Lots of times people, you know, it's not, it's often when people, when we're cursing someone or, or tearing someone down or dishonoring someone, you probably can find a reason there why that was legitimate. But that's not the reason James gives. James says it's bad to honor God and to dishonor people. And here's the reason, because people are made in the likeness of God. So when you dishonor people, you are actually dishonoring their maker. And so James is really upset. He says, don't you dare be a hypocrite at this level that you will honor God, then turn around and dishonor what he has made and called valuable. So let me just say three things about that, okay? First of all, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a person that says you honor, fear, and respect God, then you are obligated to give honor to every human being on planet Earth because every human being has something of the image of God in him or herself. We are obligated. If you're a follower of Jesus, just get that out of the way first. Just know that you are obligated to give honor to every single human being on planet Earth. Now, second thing I want to say to that is this. This does not mean that you have to flatter people and tell people they did a good job when they didn't. That's not what this is. This does not mean you can't punish or discipline or tell someone a hard truth. It does mean this. Anytime you need to tell someone a hard truth or discipline them or punish them, you must do it in a way that recognizes that they have the image of God in them and honors them as valuable. And then the third thing I want to say is this, okay? So not only on the negative sense do you have to discipline people in a way that honors them, but in another sense we have to go beyond that. This is what love does. If every single human being is made in the image of God, that means there is something good of God that has been left in every human being. It's our job as Christians. By this they will know that you are my followers, that you love one another. It's our job and every single human being, our obligation, our duty as Christians will be judged on this is to find the good thing of God in every person even if it's not obvious. When we discipline, we must do it and give people dignity and, but we must go beyond that and find the good thing in every person and call it out. Even though they're not living it, even though they're mired in sin, even though the things that they're doing are terrible, we have to look past that, not ignoring it, but we have to look past that and find the good gift that God has deposited in each person and then believe for that thing and pray for that thing and call that thing out of them. 1 Corinthians 13.8 says this, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Let me just stop there for a moment. Believes all things. Is this, is Paul telling us that love is gullible? Now when you love someone, you believe anything they tell you. That's not what he's saying. When you love someone, someone else, tell any, you know, someone tells you anything else about the person you love, you believe that thing. No, it's not gullibility, believing anything they tell you. Believe is tied to hope. What he's talking about is, when you love someone, you see the good that God has put in them and you refuse to believe anything else but that that thing is there and you believe for that thing and hope for that thing and pray for that thing until that thing comes out of them. It believes all things against all evidence to the contrary. 
The behavior is terrible. The circumstances are depressing. It's been years. But love refuses to focus on the bad. Love does not wake up in the morning and look at the spouse and see 10 years of rudeness and criticism and negativity. Love looks past that to the traits that first drew you together and says, I still believe for those good things I first saw there. And you pray for it and you speak to that. But too often what we do is we focus on the bad. And this is why love endures all things. You can't endure when you're focused on the bad. Then you just want to give up. But what we do is we tend to focus on the bad and nag at that thing as if nagging works. Can I just ask a question here? Has anyone found here that nagging is life-changing? Someone in the back there. Okay. You have serious issues and we'll talk later. (laughs) Nagging doesn't change anyone. Love changes people. Nagging depresses people and makes people want to give up. And what God does is he loves. Love believes all things, hopes all things. You speak to the good in people and you bring it out. It's not that you ignore it. Sometimes you've got to deal with issues, yes. But you speak to the good and you draw it out by speaking to the good. Believes all things, hopes all things, and as a result endures all things. Love never ends. Now, someone might be wondering, well, how do I discipline someone? How do I speak to someone a hard truth and, and in a way that honors them? And so let me just give you a bit of more understanding on that. Let me show you the five main tools of dishonor. And, and once you know what these tools are, you can tell people hard truths and still honor them. Um, but just recognizing these five things are the tools of dishonor. These five things are the tools of trampling on a person so that they are worthless instead of worthwhile. And the five tools of dishonor are this, rudeness, constant criticism, sarcasm, ridicule, and disrespect. And, you know, judging, I mean, by my own heart and the things that come out of me and the things I see from other Christians, you know what we tend to think? We tend to think of these five things as minor sins. Most Christians, we think, again, sexual immorality, murder, those are serious sins. But rudeness and criticism and sarcasm, ridicule, disrespect, those are minor sins. And I know that people think that that's minor because a lot of people don't deal with this. At the same time, they're judgmental of these things over here. And so you can have a Christian who is, on the one hand, just sexual immorality, drunkenness. That person's always out getting drunk. And over here, they are critical and negative and rude and disrespectful to the max. Well, what does the Bible say about rudeness and disrespect? 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Love is not rude. When you are rude and disrespectful and ridiculing and, disre- and, and all those sorts of things, what commandment are you breaking? You're breaking the commandment to love. Now, let me ask you this. Is this a minor sin or a big sin? What's the greatest commandment in the entire Bible? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. When you are rude and disrespectful, sarcastic, and ridiculing of people, and putting them down and trampling them as, worth, as, as worthless, that is not a minor sin. That is breaking the biggest, most major, most important commandment there is. Rudeness and disrespect are signs of incredibly deep spiritual rot in a person. And they look harmless and respectable because disrespectful, rude people come into church all the time and they can look fine. But those characteristics are evidence of deep spiritual rot in a person who is far from God. Love is not those things. Love does not use those things. So here is my, and again, because every person you meet is made in the image of God. And we've got to treat them as that way if we want to honor God as well. Let me give you a practical challenge with this point, all right? Because, again, putting on love is a practical, tangible thing. And so this may be the most important point of the whole message. Go home and do this thing. Here's the practical challenge. Rest of this month, I challenge you to say five things each day. By the way, five is easy. Beginner level. 
I was going to say 10. I crossed it off. I thought some of you might get depressed. Okay? Five. Just five things every day. You don't go to bed before you said five things to honor and build someone else up. You appreciate them, something they've done. You see something good in them, and you speak that thing out. But every day, you come home 1.30 in the morning. Oh, I haven't done my five things. You get on the phone. You wake some people up, and you say five things. <laughs> and this is where it's important. Oh, by the way, may I just say this too? If you're married, you better aim one or two of those things at your spouse. It would be a sin if you were married to take those five things and put them somewhere else and not put them on your spouse, okay? That would be bad, okay? But here's where it's good to have a devotional life because in the, in your, in the morning, you can remind yourself, how am I doing? Say, I'm going to do five things. Now, some of you might say, well, I don't know what to say to honor this person. This child is just living so far out of whack, I don't know what I can honor there. Or your spouse, I don't know what I can honor. Here's what I want you to do. The image of God is in every human being. God will show you something to speak out. So you pray about it. If you don't know what to honor someone about, you pray. God will give you two, three, four things that you can speak in there and say, this is amazing in you. God has put this in you. And begin to speak those things. Let me just tell you this. Love is not this, you know, nebulous, ethereal, untangible thing that's out there like this. Doing this thing just five times a day, honoring people with your words, I tell you, you are putting on love. And you do this over time, you're going to become a loving person. Second point, I won't be able to take much time with these last two points, but let me just finish briefly here. When you value people, there's another thing you've got to do. When you see someone as valuable, you make allowance for faults. You make allowance for faults. Um, You know, again, if I go back to those runners, when I find that new pair of runners that's going to last me a long time and go a lot of miles and be comfortable and keep me injury-free, and uh, once I find that, that is so valuable to me, I'm willing to overlook some things. I'm willing to overlook, you know, bad color schemes. Uh, to a point. Now, I won't wear pink, okay? Um, but anyway, up to a point. But bad color schemes, it, once I find that shoe, it doesn't have to look great for me. It's fine. Uh, I'm also willing to overlook. It's a little bit heavy. It's heavier than I want. You know, it's, you know, I, I'll let, you know usually for running, you like a real light shoe. But if you find one that's going to really help you and cushion you and, and, and it's going to last, I'm willing to overlook weight. I'm willing to overlook color. Why? Because those are minor flaws in the scheme of how valuable the shoe is. When you value people, not only will you honor them with your words, you will make allowance for their faults. Ephesians 4 verse 2. Look at this. And I'm doing this out of the NLT. It's the same in all the translations. I just like the wording they use. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance. Now the other, the other translations say bearing with one another. It means the same thing. But anyway, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's fault and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You know what this means? Forgiveness is something you do to someone after they do something bad to you. Making allowance for faults is something you do before they do something bad to you because you know they're going to do something bad. When you love someone, just, just, just face it. The person you're married to, the kids that you have, and the people you work with are all imperfect. They are going to mess up. They are going to have character flaws. They are going to make mistakes. Making allowance is forgiveness in advance. You get up in the morning, you say, the people I love are valuable enough, I'm willing to overlook some faults today. In advance, I know they're going to snap at me, I know they're tired, I know they're going to have some grumpy days, I know they're going to have some off days, I know they're going to mess up, and in advance, I allow the people around me to make, to have mistakes and bad days and bad weeks. That's what making allowance for faults is when you value something. You know what this means? Let's make this really practical just to really hit home for some of you. That means we have to make allowance for waitresses to make a mistake. Amen. 
Some of you need to go to the prayer room and have some confession, okay? We need to make allowance for our employees to make mistakes, for our kids to make mistakes, for our spouse to make mistakes, and not just mistakes, but like I said before, to have a bad day and not jump down their throat, to have a bad week, to have a bad month where they're not as close to God as we think they should be and where they're doing things that, yeah, this isn't quite great. And instead of jumping down their throats, we're going to make allowance for that and instead pray for them and love them. That's what it means to value someone. You forgive them after they do things, but before they even do things, you get up every morning and say, I make allowance for this person today because they're valuable and they're made in the image of God. And the last thing that draws it all together is this. Make time to be alone with God and renew your perspective daily. The number one greatest thing that keeps us from valuing people is we lose our perspective. It's the busyness of life. There's nothing like the busyness and bustle of life to get you from taking this person who's so valuable. You were so happy when you had that child. And now you're annoyed with them constantly. And you've lost perspective that this is a wonderful gift from God. The only way you get that perspective back is step back out of the bustle and the busyness. Connect with God's spirit and his word. Say, Lord, I want to become loving. And renew the reasons in your mind why this person is valuable, why you love this person. You must renew your perspective. If you do not take quiet time, the busyness will wipe away all the rest of this message. The busyness and bustle of life will do it. You must withdraw. You must have time in the word. You must have time with prayer. And you must say, okay, Lord, refresh me again in love. Connect with his spirit. And let him show you again that the human beings around you are worthy of love and respect and honor. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. I thank you that every one of us here is valuable. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would grow us. We want to put on love. This is, not a, this is not a vague thing. This is not an intangible, untouchable thing, Lord. Love is something we can do. Love is something we can begin. I pray, God, that this week you would grow us, Lord, that we would take this challenge and begin to honor people with our words every day, that we'd make allowance for faults and spend time with you, Jesus. And I pray that we would grow in love and become people with the character trait of love. In your name I pray, amen.